welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor John Banman. So we are continuing our, our study in Mark. We are at really a critical point in Mark. Uh, it is called by theologians the turning point. And, and this, this point you see in all, in all three of the synoptic gospels. Can you say that three times fast? Synoptic gospels. It just means they're kind of in alignment with each other. They kind of follow the same rhythm and telling the story. And they all have this turning point. We're going to be seeing this turning point this morning. I want to share a story about um, this group of young men and women, uh, late 20s, early 30s, that uh, in the mid-60s, they had decided to travel to South America. And this group of, of men and women, they're highly educated. They, they have been you know, train and, and have advanced degrees in theology. Uh, they're married. They have children. Some of them have children. They're, they're just starting their families, okay? And they decide to go, out, go down to the jungles of Brazil to reach this tribe that has not been reached before, right? Can you, can you imagine that? Imagine being late 20s, early 30-something, just starting your family. You have your whole life in front of you, all this potential. You could start a church that would, you know, these guys are young, they're athletic, very smart young, young men and women. They, they have all this potential and they've decided to go reach one tribe that, that speaks one particular language in the jungles of Brazil. So they head down there and, it, and it's like, you know, what would possess these people to make that kind of sacrifice? You know, to, to put up with living in the jungle in the mid-60s, by the way, to try to reach this tribe. And that's exactly what we're going to look at this morning. Why would we do that? Why would we make any kind of sacrifice in our life for the kingdom? And that's what we're looking at this morning. So turn with me, Mark chapter 8, continuing in chapter 8. And we're going to pick up in verse 27. Jesus is, is still up in the, uh, around the Sea of Galilee. He's, he's been throughout... The, up until now, this public ministry has been focused up north. Uh, they've been traveling around, back, going back and forth across the Sea of Galilee to preach and minister to people. And, and at this point, Jesus says to his, his disciples, verse 27, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea, Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, by the way, wouldn't you love to be in those conversations on the way with Jesus? So often, he's, they're on the way someplace, and he says something to his disciples, and it kicks off this whole conversation. I, I would just love to be on one of those walks with Jesus. If Apple Fitness did a walk with Jesus, man, I'd be all over it. Um, but so he's walking with his disciples, and he, Jesus asks them one of these questions. He says, Why do or who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And, it, and that's very much like the world, right? When you ask somebody out in the world, who, well, who is Jesus? Well, he's a great teacher. He's a great prophet. He healed people, right? 
That's kind of the, world, the world's idea of who Jesus is. Jesus then looks at his disciples and he says, uh, verse 29, and he asks them, but who do you say that I am? This is the key question, is it not? Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? That is the essential question. And what do they say? Peter answers the question. Thank God for Peter. He gives us, because of him, we have so much. Um, so Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And then Jesus strictly charged them to tell no, no one about him. So Mark has a way of convincing. Mark is like, he's very action, and he condenses the, uh, the story to very simple terms and very direct, and it's just like, here's Peter's answers, boom, and he moves on. Uh, the other gospel writers include more of what happened, and, and again, like last week, I, I want to go to Matthew. Matthew gives us um, much more information in terms of Jesus' response to Peter's answer, uh, going to Matthew 16, um, and we'll pick up Peter's answer in verse 15, Peter says, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the, son of the living God. And listen to the way Jesus responds to this. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father is, who is in heaven. Peter, you get it. Flesh and blood is not revealed to you, but the Spirit of God has revealed to you that I am the Messiah. I am God come into this world. I am God in the flesh. I am a member of the Trinity standing here before you in flesh and blood. I am the promised Messiah. Good job, Peter. You get it. And he, and he elaborates on, he goes, I tell you, Peter, on this rock, which kind of play, plays off Peter's name, Petros, I will build my church. Not that Christ is going to build his church on Peter, the human being, but that Jesus will build his church on this confession of faith, on this idea that, look, if you get, if you really get that I am God in the flesh, you believe that, I am going to build my church on that, on that confession of faith. So no small thing, right, that Peter gets this. No small thing that we get it in our life. And if you haven't gotten that yet this morning, yet this yet in your life, I really challenge you, encourage you. This is the essential question. This is the most important question of your life. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he just some great teacher that lived 2,000 years ago? If he, if he was that, why are we here today? Let me just ask you that question. If he's just some guy, there's lots of teachers in the first century Near East. Lots of people who claim to be the Messiah in the first century of, of the Near East 2,000 years ago. But why are we standing here today talking about Jesus? Because he was the Messiah. Because he really rose from the dead, right? He really did enable Peter through the Spirit of God to recognize that he is the Messiah. And it's the Spirit of God that may be speaking to you to this morning, saying, look, he's not just a guy that lived 2,000 year years ago. He's the Son of God. Amen? So, Good job, Peter. Peter gets it. Going on to the next paragraph, back of Mark 8. Jesus says in verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man 
must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This is the turning point, right? So far, everything has been going great. If you're a disciple of Christ and you've been following Jesus around, what's happening? Jesus is feeding everybody. He's healing all these people. The, the deaf are made to hear. The blind are made to see. The ministry is growing. There's crowds of thousands of people following him around. Man, we're on the way to a mega church, right? We are going to build this thing up. We are taking Jerusalem for the kingdom, right? This is, this is, this is church growth. If you, want to do, if you want to do church growth, this is what it looks like, right? And then what does Jesus say? Guess what, guys? I'm headed to Jerusalem where I'm going to be killed. Wait, what? Peter's like, what, 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 what? What do you mean you we're going to Jerusalem for you to be killed? Look at Peter's response, 32. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Okay. Peter's rebuking the Lord, right? This is how strongly, by the way, this is how strongly Peter feels about this. This is no small thing to Peter. I mean, Peter already understands that Jesus is something special, right? He understood that the moment Jesus got in his boat and, and told him to throw the nets over here on the other side, and he pulled in a million fish. He was like, depart, me from, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. So Peter gets that. He knows, and he just said it. He just now said it. You are God in the flesh. And now Peter's going to rebuke him. Why? Because this is no small thing. We, I, I thought we had a successful ministry here. I thought we were going to build the kingdom. I thought we were going to assume our place at your right hand in the kingdom of Jerusalem and, you know, change the world. And now you're talking about going to Jerusalem to die? Peter rebukes him. Jesus responds to Peter, and this is really the core point I want to, I really hope that you can lay hold of this morning. He says, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Pretty strong rebuke, right? For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. This is the essential point. Peter understood who Jesus was. Peter understood that he was the Messiah, that he had come to declare the kingdom of God and to be the embodiment of the kingdom of God. But Peter missed the point that Jesus was, had come into this world to give his life as atonement for us. To pay for our sins. And this is just blowing Peter up. And Peter's like, no way, Lord. You don't, you know, don't do this. And, and Jesus gives P Peter really one of the strongest rebukes of the Bible. Why? Because this is so essential. Right? Not only does he notice that Peter takes Jesus aside privately to rebuke Jesus, but Jesus takes Peter and publicly rebukes him. That's how strong this is. And not only does he publicly rebuke him, but he says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. I mean, how, how would it be if the elders called you up here and said, hey, we just want to say in front of the congregation, get behind us, Satan. That's a strong rebuke, is it not? This is intense stuff. And, it, and it's intense because this is essential. This is critical. Your mind is not set on the things of God. Your mind is set on the things of this world. As believers in Christ, people who recognize who Jesus is, can we set our mind on the things of this world? 
Yes. The short answer is yes. We do it all the time, do we not? Right? Sanctification is just really a process of setting our mind less and less on the world and more and more on the things of God. And it's a process, right? It takes time. It happens over time. Jesus let go of his kingdom and gave his life so we could have his, right? We could have his what? We could have his kingdom. We could have his life. We could have his joy. We could have his eternity, his blessing. He's giving his life up for us. That's setting his mind on the kingdom of God, not on the kingdom of the world. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it got hard for Jesus, did it not? It said that he sweated blood and his anguish over going to the cross. But he still went to the cross. Why? Because he set his mind on the kingdom of God. He set his mind on the Father. He put his hope and trust and faith in the Father and set his mind on the Father. There's a, Isaiah makes a sort of prophetic reference to Jesus uh, going to Jerusalem. And it says, I've, Isaiah says, I've given my beard up to be plucked, and I've set my face like flint to your, toward your holy city, right? Jesus is determined. He's clear. This is my purpose. This is my mission, and I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Isaiah 53, 10 through 12 says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for our guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Out of the anguish of Jesus' soul, he shall see and be satisfied. What will he see? By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. What, was, what, was, what satisfied the anguish of Christ's soul? Making atonement for us. Making us righteous. Giving us his righteousness making us his inheritance. Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, right? The joy set before him was you and I, being reconciled to him, being reconciled to the Father. Jesus had his mind set on the kingdom of heaven. One of the men who had gone down with this group to Brazil, his, his name is Jim Elliott, and he wrote, in his journal, he wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Are you willing this morning to give what you cannot keep in order to gain what you cannot lose? Initial Peter's first reaction was, no way, Lord. And really, isn't that our first reaction, right? When there's a hard sacrifice when it means giving up something you really desire. Jesus continues in 34. And he's still in this public rebuke of Peter. He says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Listen to Jim Elliot's words again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What does it profit you if you gain the entire world? If you have the combined wealth of Jeff Be Bezos, Bezos and uh, Elon Musk and Bill Gates and all those Wall Street guys, you take all that together and you gain all that, you can have all that and still lose your soul, what have you gained? And what is the implications of that? To keep your soul, what have you gained? To keep your soul in Christ, to be kept by Christ, to be reconciled, to be brought into his kingdom, that means wealth, pleasure, and joy for all of eternity. Unlimited, infinite, right? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain, what he cannot lose. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So Jesus is giving us a little test right there. It's a little, little examination. Look, you know what? Do you ever find yourself with a group of people and you're like, uh, I don't want to be that Christian guy. You know, I don't want to be the one quoting the verse. I don't want to be the one who's talking about this Jesus guy. Uh, how embarrassing. Am I the only one that's ever felt that way? Right? We feel that way. That's the test. I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road. Does it not? That's where it reveals which kingdom are we really setting our mind on. Are we setting our mind on the kingdom of God, his power, his glory, his presence, his blessing, his pleasure? Or are we setting our minds on our own kingdom, right? And really the worst combination of those two things is to set your mind on your own kingdom and then just put a Jesus sticker on it. And that's what Peter's doing. And that's why Jesus rebukes Peter so strongly. It's like, look, Jesus, I get who you are. You're the son of God. You are the Messiah. Rah, rah, let's go. And then Jesus says, okay, you know what that means, Peter? That means, that means you need to die to yourself. That means you need to take up your cross and follow me. And Peter's like, whoa, wait a minute, Lord. No, it can't mean that. And we balk. Every one of us balks. So what do we do about that? Where do we go with that? Isaiah 26 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. On a, on a sailing ship, you all know I'm kind of a sailor and I'm into sailing, but on the old square rig sailing ship, there's a million feet of rope on a sailing ship, right? There's ropes everywhere. And the biggest rope, the most important rope, is they actually, a sailor calls it a cable. It's still a rope, but it's a big, fat, giant monster rope. They call it cable, and, it, and it's called the, the mainstay. And it's what, what su the main rope that supports and keeps the mass vertical. And this verse in Isaiah says, you keep him 
and perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. When, when we set our minds on God, we set our minds on the kingdom of God, he keeps us in peace no matter what's going on. No matter if, like Jesus, you're about to be turned over to the, to the religious leaders and be rejected by your own people and be spit on and, and beaten by a bunch of Roman soldiers and hung on a cross. Jesus' mind is stayed on his father. And that's the challenge for us this morning. How do we keep our mind stayed on his kingdom rather than our own? And, and a couple things I want to point out. Number one, understand how essential this is. Jesus is making a big deal about this, and it is a big deal. It is the turning point of the ministry of Christ. So number one, we need to recognize, hey, this is essential. This is not like, okay, number 12 and a list of things to do today. This is every day it is essential that we purpose and make it our mindset to set our hearts and minds on God and his kingdom and his glory and his purposes in our life. It is number one, it's essential. Number two, we need to recognize that it is a process, that we're going to fail every day in this, right? Again, love Peter. He just declared Jesus is the Messiah. A, got an A plus from Jesus. Good job, Peter. Upon this confession, I'm going to build my church. And then the very next paragraph, Jesus, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You've got your mind set on the things of this world, not on, my, on the things of my world. And then later on, Peter, Jesus reveals to Peter in the spirit. Jesus has already ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit reveals to Peter, hey, everything, all these creatures, all these animals, you can eat them. They're clean. You can let go of the old ceremonial law that says you can't eat these particular animals. And, and this Holy Spirit is preparing Peter to go and preach to a Roman centurion, which he does faithfully. The centurion and all his household becomes followers of Christ. Who knows what all the descendants of that centurion are, the spiritual descendants of that centurion, right? Peter's faithful to preach the gospel after the resurrection of Christ. Right? And then a little after that, Paul has to go and publicly reprimand Peter again because Peter is playing favorites and being prejudiced towards the Gentiles. Right? So he went out and preached to the Gentiles. The centurion becomes a Christian. All his household becomes a Christian. But then later on, years later, Peter is in a place where he's playing favorites and, and his old Jewish prejudice comes up to the forefront and he's holding himself back from the Gentiles. And Paul confronts him and says, Peter, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're playing favorites. You're being prejudiced. And he rebukes him. So this is a process. This will require the rest of our lives, right? But it's essential. So just because it's a process, we don't go, oh, well, you know, it is what it is. I get it sometimes and sometimes I don't. It's essential that we, that we work through our day understanding that, hey, I need to set my mind. I need to see what's going on in light of the kingdom of God, not in the light of my limited understanding. Well, how do we do that? We know, at first we know it's essential. Number two, it's a process. Number three, Robert and Jared and I are saying this every Sunday in one form or another. The, thing, the, the same thing that we say all the time, which is what we need to be in the word. We need to be in the fellowship. We need to pray. We need to serve. 
We need to be obedient to Christ. All these things, the church life, coming here, being here on Sunday morning, worshiping the Lord, going to study, calling a buddy up on the phone and talking about a verse that you read in, in, in your quiet time. Taking your quiet time, whatever quiet time looks like to you. Sometimes that might be loud time. I don't know, whatever it is, I don't care. For me, it's a cup of coffee and my Bible in the morning. I'm horrible at journaling. I wish I was better at journaling. I'm working on that. Um, I'm trying to apply my own mes message from last Sunday and do better with writing notes from, from my time. But I encourage you, it's a powerful tool. But first, you just got to want to do it. Is, it. is the kingdom of God worth it? Is it enough for, for us just to say, well, yeah, I get it. Jesus is the son of God. Yeah, he saved me. Awesome. Saved me to eternity. Good, cool. What's for lunch? Is that how we want to live this life? Paul says, look, I have built on the foundation of Christ. Anything you build on top of that foundation of Christ, if you build it in faith, if you build it with your mind set on the kingdom of God, if you build it with that attitude of, like, I want to serve the Lord, it will result in precious stones, precious metals, things that will last throughout all eternity in heaven. But if you build on that foundation with wood, hay, and stubble, guess what? It's all burned up in the final judgment. It's all gone. Your life is worth nothing. Earlier I said, you know, why would these guys go down to the, some remote part in the jungle, the small little tribe, limited dialect, and devote so much to reaching this tribe? They, they were uh, flying around over the area of the jungle that this tribe was known to inhabit and dropping presents and reaching out to them and trying to prep them. And at, at one point they decided, okay, it's time to make direct contact and they have this bush plane one of the, one of the guys is a bush pilot really good bush pilot and they fly out and they land this plane on this tiny little strip of sand along the side of the river and they kind of create a camp there and if, and a, i think a, i believe it was a couple of women and one of the guys from the tribe came out and and had a brief conversation with them and then disappeared back in the jungle and they were praying and and just really wanted to make connection with this tribe. And then all of a sudden, a, a, uh, essentially a war party from this tribe came with their spears and killed them all. They were all killed, all murdered. All these young men with wives and children. Is that a waste? They wanted to build on the foundation of God and now the tribe they're trying to reach has killed them. What has that profited? How has that gained anything? Not long after that, the, the death of those men, the, their wives and, and, and some of the guys that were, weren't on that particular day trip, they didn't leave. They continued to reach out and minister to the tribe. That, that tribe was saved. They became believers in Christ. The son of Jim Elliott, who I just read, Jim Elliott was part of that group who was killed. His son became very good friends with the chief of that tribe. And at one point, the chief of, the, of that tribe confessed when, when Jim Elliott's son had grown up and he was a grown man, the chief of that tribe confessed to him, hey, I'm the one who speared your dad. Think about that. And Jim Elliott's son forgave him. 
He was a brother in Christ. He'd been brought into the kingdom through the sacrifice of Christ and through the sacrifice of these men. The day they were killed, Speaking of writing in your journal, Jim Elliott wrote this in his journal. And I, and I, were, I normally don't like to read much more than a line. This is a, a paragraph. But this is what he wrote in his, his journal that day. He said, I walked out to the hill just now. It is exalting, delicious to stand embraced by the shadows of a friendly tree with the wind tugging at your coattail and the heavens hailing your heart to gaze in glory and give oneself again to God. He's sharing this as he's standing on the sandbar about to be killed by this tribe that he's trying to reach. What more could a man ask? Oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him. If only I may love him, please him, Perhaps in mercy he shall give me a host of children, i.e. converts, that I may lead them through the vast star fields to explore his delicious, lead them through the vast star fields to explore his delicious, whose fingers ends set them to burning. Sorry, I'm not saying that sentence right. Perhaps in mercy he shall give me a host of children that I may lead them through the vast star field to explore his delicious, his delicacies, whose finger ends set them to burning. But if not, if only I may see him, touch his garments, and smile into his eyes, ah, then, not stars nor children shall matter, only himself. O oh, Jesus, master and center and master and center and end of all, how long before the glory is yours, which I so long awaited you? Now there is no thought of you among men. Then there shall be thought for nothing else. Now other men are praised. Then none shall care for any other's merits. Hasten, hasten, glory of heaven. Take your crown. Subdue your kingdom. Enthrall your creatures. Are we enthralled by Christ this morning? Have we set our hearts and minds on his kingdom? These men did. They all died for it. And yet the entire tribe was saved. Later on, Jamelia's son brought, brought that chief, that, that tribal chief to America. He flew him. He became a bush pilot himself. He flew him to America to kind of give him a taste of America. And, and, he, and the chief tells the story that they went to this food hut where you get food from this big hut. And he said, it's amazing. You get in this thing, this vehicle. It's like an airplane, but it, it doesn't have wings. It just drives on the ground, and, and you pull up next to the food hut, and this woman just gives you a bunch of food out the window, whatever you want. You can ask whatever you want. You don't have to go out and hunt for monkeys. You just ask for whatever you want. Woman just gives you a bunch of food. And you know what the really crazy thing is? This, this guy, he just, he, he just gave him this little plastic card for the food. And you know what's even crazier is after the girl looked at the card, she just gave it back to him. Hey, America's crazy. I don't get it. I don't understand. But you know what? He, he's a brother in Christ. We'll, we'll meet him and see him in heaven. You can check out the story with him in heaven. The point is this morning, the point Jesus is saying is, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This means we are dying to ourselves daily. We have entered in. If you've confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have entered into a process we are, where you are daily dying to yourself. Your own desire, your own passion, your hopes and dreams, all of it is put on the cross in exchange for the desires of Christ, the hopes and dreams of Christ, which he will fulfill, by the way. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much, God, for your great love. Lord, and I immediately recognize, Father, how much I am utterly focused on my own kingdom. Lord, how much I am distracted by the baubles and trinkets of this world. Father, how much I, I misplace the desires of my heart, the hunger of my soul on the things that can never satisfy me. Lord, as a church, God, as a people, Father, we confess to you that daily we do not set our hearts and minds on you, Father, but rather we set them on the things of this world, Father. And, and by doing so, we lose so much. And yet when we make what appears to be that sacrifice, God, when we decide to give ourselves up, when we decide to give up what we want, we give up our pride. Father, we, we give up our praise, God. We give up the praise of men and women around us and, and, and instead are willing to be that man or woman that says, yeah, I know Jesus. He's the son of God. He's made me a new creation. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to live by faith each day. Help us to look to your pleasures each day. Scripture says, in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Change our minds, God. Turn us about. Bring us to the turning point of our lives where we are willing to look to you over ourselves. Lord, Jesus, do this work. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would make this real, that we would practice this today. In your son's holy name, amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.